This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in and grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing. Kyle Agri, Anthony Kleinwachter. We are your hosts, and this is Shack Talk Ice Fishing Podcast. Uh, very excited to be back here at Shag Talk and very excited to be welcoming a friend of ours to the podcast this episode, uh, Mr. Andrew Kraft. Welcome to Shag Talk. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks to both of you for having me. It's a pleasure being on. How's weather over in Bemidji? Still fairly warm. <laughs> Still waiting I, for colder temperatures to lock things up really good. But Yeah. Ice holding fun. up that you do have? Yep, I think we got anywhere from like three to five on most lakes. Some of the bigger ones obviously are are well behind, but we're getting there. Things are slow moving as of yet. Isn't that sort of cruel, the little tease we had there? I mean, and it's good for people who are able to walk out, right? Because like you said, three to five, some of that ice will be safe to walk out on. Yeah. But still, it was like we had a warm fall, then it got really cold, locked up a few of those smaller lakes, shallower lakes, and now we're back to that like teetering right on the freezing mark, you know, above during the day and below during the night. And yep. there's just tons of people who are, come on, let's get this going. Let's get this thing froze up solid so we can be out there having fun. Yeah. Guys are chomping at the bit. And I know we were up North this weekend in Bidette for Thanksgiving and driving through uh, past Red Lake there in Washkish and people are anxious. They're ready to get out there. I know they've had some pretty fishable ice for a little while here yet, but I'm just uh, collecting my stuff here in the garage and trying to uh, get as prepared as I can so far. Have you had the opportunity to step foot on the ice yet? The only opportunity I've had is actually to check the ice when I was up north this last weekend. They had about six, seven inches out of the Winter Road River going into the rainy, uh, but that was fairly shallow water. But haven't dropped a line yet, still waiting for that day to come. Let's just talk about that for a second, maybe, because I think the timing is perfect and the the opportunity should always be taken to talk a little bit about safety when we're venturing out. You know, every year there's always a new kind of a new generation coming into the sport. Those who've not had a lot of experience ice fishing before. Andrew, when you're out there and you're going to set foot on the ice to check it, right? Or whether you're going to venture out and into that first outing where you're actually fishing, what is it for you that are the parameters that are important? Um, first and foremost for me is to never go alone. Uh, first couple times I'm always checking ice. I always have somebody with me and then just having the proper tools as well. So ice picks, float suit, rope, um, some years even throw a life vest on just as an extra precaution. So you, you can never be too safe. And I think that has really been stressed, especially over the last decade or so as we've gotten further into ice fishing is first ice safety is very important. So it's nothing to take lightly. Well, and I, I want to emphasize one of the things you said, because the industry's done a great job of marketing the float suits and the ice picks and, and some of the safety equipment. It's up to the angler to use it. And I think most ice anglers have the kind of the understanding of why that's important. But the first thing you said was never venture out alone. And I think that is something that we can't emphasize enough because if you do find yourself in a treacherous situation, it's really critical to have somebody there that can assist you. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah and I would it. say too on those lines, you know, just because you see people out there, don't assume that, you know, they made it out safe. Maybe they went a different way or a different path and those conditions can change based on the weather or the type of ice. And I mean, you've seen it before and I'm sure we've all seen it that, you know, can vary from five feet away to 10 feet away to 50 feet away. Those conditions can change pretty drastically and, and just being yeah. mindful of, you know, the how much that ice can vary early ice. Absolutely. Yep. There's so many variables that go into those things, you know, the wind or clarity of the lake, even how soon things will lock up. And then you throw in, uh, for example, where I was checking up north, you get current in the mix is another factor. So there's so many things that can change and um, a lot to take into consideration. You can never be too safe. So the more uh, tools you can add and put in your favor, the better off you are. Well, and we've, we've kind of taken this season of Shack Talk and we've talked with a focus about different areas within the ice fishing, you know, part of the country where ice fishing is big, right? And, you know, last episode we talked to Jay Seaman and he's up in Ontario and fishes a lot in Manitoba. You're a Minnesota angler. And the one thing with Minnesota is that there's a really wide range of ice conditions from where you talked about near Budette in the northern part of the state uh, all the way down through, you know, mid-state to Twin Cities and even in, in the southern part of the state bordering Iowa. There's a lot of variation. Absolutely. Yep. Even right here in Bemidji itself, there's a lot of variation from, you know, what we've seen over the years. Lakes set up so differently. Uh, so it's one thing you really have to be important about is just because you're checking one lake and it's got a solid five inches of walkable fishable ice doesn't mean the lake down the road, you know, 10 miles is going to set up the same. So very important to take into consideration. What about this for both you guys? Like there's perpetually lakes that are early capped off, early ice fishing lakes. Red Lake in Northern Minnesota is an example of that, right? And and I can even think locally of a few that traditionally they're the first ones that ice anglers go to because they know they're going to have that ice first. Is that something we can rely on year after year or even within that are there different variations? You know, I think there are still variations. Um, historically, there are, like you said, certain lakes where, okay, I know this is going to be one of the first to lock up, but that doesn't mean that should be your go-to year after year after year without being cautious, without taking the necessary steps you you should. So I think that that's important. Well, I think we've seen two even up on Red Lake. I mean, it's a historical early ice body. There's great fishing. Everybody wants to get up there, but you know, weather conditions can change that lake a lot. It's a huge body of water and you get the wrong wind or the wrong temperatures and you can open up a crack and it creates a lot of havoc up there. So, um, you know, usually when I'm venturing out and I know Andrew in the Bemidji area, you like to find those little puddles and ponds, you know, some of those smaller bodies of of water are a lot less subject to some of those conditions. And so it's those things to keep in mind, you know, how things can, can change from one body of water to the next. We're waiting for ice. Some of us have ventured out, you know, and and Anthony, you you did a little bit of ice fishing here over the holiday weekend. Tell us a little bit about what you saw and what you found. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to be traveling for the holiday up past the, the Devil's Lake region, and that's another area, the northern lakes that are associated with the Devil's Lake chain um, freeze up pretty early. They're shallow bodies of water, um, so they tend to freeze a little faster, and 
I was able to find, you know, six to eight inches of, of good fishable ice. And, you know, those areas were just walking out. It's not very far from shore. And so you feel pretty safe, but still took a lot of those same precautions. There were some guys out with some, some four wheelers and side by sides. And I think that traffic will just increase as we get some colder temps here at the end of the week. Um, but yeah, it was nice to get out to scratch the itch. Cause I, I know everybody's, chomping at the bit to get out we got a few fish and got to play with some new gear and just kind of get the rust off and so it was really nice to be able to get out and you know driving by main devil's lake i think most of that was capped off as well so hopefully that'll hold with the the conditions that we have and they'll start to build some ice out there too but i know a lot of the guys have got out on some a few smaller ponds and smaller lakes as well and so i think we're right at that cusp of things really taking off here over the next week or two yeah, and I, I spent some time in the Detroit Lakes and the Otter Tail area of Minnesota over the weekend. And I would really echo a lot of what both of you have said. You know, a majority of the water is locked up. It's ice covered. There's a couple of the deeper lakes, the bigger ones that are still open. But uh, even those that are still open seem to have a lot of shore ice. And so it's not necessarily, barring any big wind we might have, uh, it's not going to take a lot to get those capped off as well. So, yeah, we are we are very near. Uh, it's almost time. And uh, one of the things we were going to talk about today is speaking of it's almost time, it is it is time for ice show season. And, uh, you know, this episode, maybe even next, next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about ice shows. Uh, coming up here in a few days from when this uh, podcast drops, we have the St. Paul Ice Show. Anthony and I are... Well, we're officially North Dakota residents, although I think you could almost throw a rock from our houses to Minnesota. Andrew, you're a Minnesota guy through and through. What does the St. Paul Ice Show mean to anglers in Minnesota and really in the bigger picture throughout the region? I, I think it really gets the flame lit. It's the, uh, the grand entrance, I guess, for everybody to uh, prepare themselves to see all the new fun products. Uh, to rekindle those relationships, see some people that uh, you haven't seen in a while in the industry. And it's just this um, overall general excitement surrounding ice fishing. So it's the something I always look forward to and uh, be able to see all these folks so excited. And not only the people that are there working the show, but just uh, these younger kids walking in the front door or coming in with grandpa and looking at all the cool uh, new innovations, new rods, augers, suits, houses. There's so much to see now. Things have changed dramatically over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years even. So it's a very exciting time for everybody just to uh, prepare and get everything ready to go for that first step out on the ice. Yeah, I know you mentioned the the interactions with people, and I know as someone in the industry, it's fun to interact with those that we know, but it's even fun. I, I assume for those who, you know, aren't in the industry that are coming as guests to the show and, and just meeting some of those people, the personalities, the different TV show hosts, the YouTube stars. I mean, it's becoming a lot more of a, a meet and greet uh, location for some of those avenues as well. And I know that's really fun. It's fun to see people being able to, to get to know people and, you know, having those opportunities to interact. It's really fun to i mean i i think that's my probably my favorite part of the show is just being able to talk ice fishing with you know hundreds of people over the course of the weekend and sometimes i even forget to spend a lot of time looking at all the new products for myself but um i think that's really fun you know i i would agree too and andrew you mentioned seeing the people and anthony you you, you kind of added on to that 
it made me think about, you know, like what are the stereotypical people you see at the ice show? And um, you've got the super enthusiastic, hardcore, younger guys that are in there and they're just looking for the new latest and greatest. You've got the young families in there, right? That are, hey, we're going to, we're not, this is something we can do with us as a couple. We can do it with the kids. We can enjoy this sport with our whole family. You've got, uh, you've got the, the grandparents who maybe they have a wheelhouse, right? And, and they're excited to take the young grandkids out and they're out there looking at the latest in augers or lures or fishing rods. And it's just, it's a sport that spans so many generations and so many different aspects of life. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you take a peek and look around in there and it's everything. It's all uh, all walks, all sorts of different uh, populations of folks there that you got the guys busting in the door. They know exactly what they want. They go and get it. Other guys will sit there and just peruse and walk around for hours on end. So it's pretty fun to just sit back and watch and observe. That's one of my favorite things as well. Yeah, it's definitely a social event. I mean, you can definitely spend as much time or as little time as you want at the show and and take it all in. I know a lot of people come in for the deals and to try and buy some new gear, but, you know, check out the new latest and greatest, some of the mom and pop shops, all of those different things. I think there's just such a a diverse atmosphere there. Um, You know, not, not all of it's ice fishing. There'll be little vendors and different things that, you know, maybe don't relate to ice fishing much, but it's, you never know what you're going to see at the the show. And so I think that's probably, you know, one of the things that draws those new people into the show every year. Okay, guys, what, whether it be St. Paul, whether it be, you know, in a, in a week after that, it's going to be the Fargo ice fishing show, whether it is a retailer, having their own ice fishing event in store. The first one you go to this year, what is it you're going to be looking for? What is it that you just have to lay your eyes on that you haven't seen already? Oof. For me, it's always the tackle. I'm so curious in seeing what more can you honestly put out there that I haven't seen? You know what I mean? Every year there's, there is something, something comes out where it just blows my mind where how has nobody thought of such a thing? But for me, it's the, the tackle, the little intricate pieces. Uh, love seeing all of the uh, the other things as well, the houses, the augers, um, rods that are coming out. But for whatever reason, those little individual uh, tackle or jigs or spoons or whatever they may be laying out there like candy in those big trays really kind of draws me in. I feel like a big kid at a candy store. Well, how many of us ice anglers are not tackle junkies, right? right. I mean, or addicts, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah, we have tackle boxes full of jigs, and we probably use the same handful of six or seven every time we go out. It, yeah. it reminds me of a funny story too. We were we were shopping one time, and I was my wife was with me, and she's like, "Well, this hook catch a walleye," and I said, "Honey, every one of these fish will catch a walleye. They're designed to catch fishermen." <laughs> Absolutely Very true. I was going to say, as far yeah. as the show for me, I'm I'm excited to always see kind of how technology advances, whether it's the augers, the houses, the apparel. Uh, for me, I'm always selfishly looking for, you know, new gloves or different things like that to, to make it my time on the ice more enjoyable. So those are the little things that I'm always looking for. I love it. And uh, it's just, it's one of those things, right? And there's there's lots of them in our world today, but it's one of those events where you go, and like you said, it's social. It's it's just a, a many different walks of life. But let's be honest. There's not one thing in those shows and in those buildings that anybody needs, right? 
<laughs> it's all things we want and it's things we want because we love doing it. We love the outdoors. We love our outdoor heritage and it's fun and it brings a smile to our face. Right. And that's just the cool thing about it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. So Andrew, we talked a little bit about the shows. We talked a little bit about early ice. Let's kind of maybe dive into Minnesota as a whole. I know we talked about Red Lake being an early ice destination, you know, let's maybe kind of go through the season. You got early ice, middle, and maybe some late. What are your kind of go-to destinations for, you know, not just early ice, but then the kind of middle of the season where you headed, and then what's your late ice? Sure. So um, early season always for me is panfish right here at home. Seems to be the first thing you can really take advantage of. Like you mentioned before, those really small lakes, a couple hundred acres maybe, able to venture out on safe ice relatively early every year. So getting after crappies and bluegills, um, we tend to do that throughout the season. But as we get in later, temperatures cool off. I like to travel a little bit more, do some more walleye fishing, get up to Lake of the Woods several times, uh, get up to Red Lake a time or two, maybe down to Mille Lacs even as the season kind of progresses. That's kind of uh, one of those fun places to go and sit in a ice castle or uh um, glacier wheelhouse and just spend a weekend and relax out there put the pajamas and slippers on and kick your feet up but then we get into late ice i love the tip up fishing have to take advantage of that if uh, conditions allow back up to lake of the woods uh, for those big pike i really enjoyed that and then capping her off with some late ice pan fish again before that uh, ice uh, dissipates and we're back to open water but that's kind of my tradition year after year for the most part isn't it funny how we all get those traditional like early mid late season and sometimes it's even the same weekend every year you know when you you know when that date on the calendar hits you're going to be whether it's lake of the woods red lake Lax, whatever it is but you know yeah. you're going to be there you know that you can set your watch by it and it's uh, it's going to happen andrew are you yourself personally i know you live in minnesota now you live in bemidji are you were you born in that area um do you, have you lived other areas of the state or the country i was born in the metro actually and we moved up to lake of the woods right in bedette there when i was six years old so spent about 20 years up there and now in bemidji for about eight years so really enjoy it um never had panfish growing up really on lake of the woods unless you get way up into canada for those big crappies, but bluegills were pretty much foreign to me, which for a lot of kids, it's the opposite. So I grew up on Lake of the Woods, a million acre body of water, catching walleyes and pike and sturgeon and realized what I was missing out on down here. So I kind of lived my childhood through bluegills and crappies as a 20 year old. So ever since then, it's hard to let go. I, there's something about those, those ice panfish that just gets a guy going. I know you talked a little bit about checking ice on the Rainy River, and obviously you're pretty familiar with Lake of the Woods. What are conditions looking like this year? I know some of the areas we've seen early ice, but what's Lake of the Woods looking like, and what what can someone typically expect for being able to maybe venture out onto Lake of the Woods? I know guys are starting to get out on the bay a little bit. They started venturing out, trying to stake some stuff. Um, I think last I heard there was like four or five inches out there. The river's pretty spotty right now. We had current up until I think a few weeks ago. Uh, I think they closed the dam, uh, but very dark. Um, I wouldn't even consider checking that right now. Probably two, three inches maybe. But I would expect that you probably could get up there and 
maybe a week or two, obviously checking in with the local um, bait shops, resorts. They'll have all the uh, updates and reports for you, but it's going to change here day to day now. We're going to start seeing some cooler temperatures, so I would expect that within the next week or two, people will be venturing around fishing out there. Andrew, as is, is you look at your history and experience ice fishing throughout the state of Minnesota, if, if you were talking to somebody listening to Shack Talk right now who's never been to Minnesota, they've never ice fished here, uh, they maybe grew up and, and have lived in other parts of the country, what is it that makes Minnesota special when it comes to ice fishing? What is it that really is um, so woven into the fabric of, of Minnesota that, uh, in terms of uh, the sport of ice fishing? I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I think one, the diversity that we have here is simply amazing. Um, trophy caliber species all across the board and, and within a short drive. And then the availability. Uh, I think I could get to 70 lakes within a short jaunt from my house. So growing up up north was an experience in itself. Being down here a little more um, centralized in the Bemidji area, is really kind of broadened my horizons and allowed me to know and experience how lucky we really are up here. We can fish three, four lakes in, in one day if you wanted to, if you can even get on and off that quick. But there's so much availability, so much diversity, and just a lot to take advantage of. It's amazing. What about, you know, I, I think of, you know, the variety that you talk about and, you know, just the accessibility. I mean, looking back, you know, myself, even growing up in Minnesota, you know, you go by a lake in the wintertime, like you, you just expect to see a few houses out there, probably some permanent checks from some locals that, you know, maybe drugged or pushed them out there. Um, you know, is that kind of what you see in the Bemidji area as well? Do you see those little uh, ice villages or ice communities that we talk about a lot or yeah. see in the old movies, the, the grumpier old men movies? <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, especially some of the larger lakes, you get your little community areas guys with their wheelhouses guys with their permanent shacks and we've even come across guys who happen to live on a smaller body of water couple hundred acres and same shack out in the same spot every year you have the same conversation so it's like you're you know a strange buddy's just coming back and getting out on the ice together having a conversation so it's kind of funny that way too but yeah it's pretty much all across the board from like lake bemidji lake plantan um, here in town, a lot of permanent houses, a lot of people, but then you have these couple hundred acre bodies of water sprinkled throughout or up to a thousand acres even where you might not see a person all day. So that just adds to the diversity as well, how special this area is. We're pretty fortunate. You alluded to that social aspect, right? And I think we can all, if we've ice fished in our lives, we can understand when you're out on the water in open water in a boat, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna get together and tie your boats together and have a conversation because you're fishing, right? But yeah. it seems like when you're out on the ice, it's so easy to walk on over into the next shack and and see what you know your buddy that you saw out there last year is doing and catch up. And that really, to me, wherever it is, whether it's Minnesota or anywhere else, that's just the essence of of ice fishing as a social something to do in the wintertime like that. That's gonna keep that social uh, energy up. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Pretty soon you're swapping deer jerky recipes and telling old stories. And yeah, there's all sorts of fun stuff that happens out there on the ice. 
So another thing that's maybe a little bit specific to Minnesota that maybe we should touch on too for those listening to Shack Talk that you know maybe aren't from Minnesota or thinking about venturing to it is just the the season regulations within Minnesota. The inland lakes being different than some of the border waters. Walk us through that, and I know you alluded to getting up to Lake of the Woods late season to to chase fish, but you know how does that impact where you plan out your season? Well, I think that's kind of one of the later destinations you see a lot of people go up north as well. Um, Beating that season's extended a little bit. You can get out on the river, and those uh, those seasons are different now and have changed also. So you just have to be mindful um, when you are traveling to take a look at that regulation book. So much is accessible online now even too. I think Lake of the Woods Tourism uh, Bureau has everything spelled right out there on the website. Um some multiple things to look at there, but yeah, it's just, uh, things are so available now. All you have to really do is pick up a phone or a computer and everything's right there for you to take a look at. Yeah. And the, the inland waters that typically always shuts down for game species, the end of February, right? February 28th. Yep. And then that's when you're going to need your new license and get back out there for the late ice before that melts away. Yeah, so I think that's a good reminder for people, you know, that maybe aren't familiar with some of the Minnesota regulations is just, you know, being aware of that. And, you know, I think that's why Lake of the Woods is such a draw late season is you can still go after walleye and pike and everything once it closes down. Um, So get those trips into, you know, Bemidji and Leech and Mille Lacs and Winnie, all those destinations before that deadline, and then maybe plan your trip up to Lake of the Woods. Right, right. Yep, and then you see all those late ice pan fishermen also. Yep. Up until early February, early April, even out there on the ice. So it's one of the things that I appreciate about the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, the DNR, is that even on those inland lakes, they will a lot of times take it area by area or even lake by lake in terms of regulation, restrictions, and, and the fish or the size of fish that you can keep. And it's not always just focused on protecting, you know, walleyes right? I mean, you've got certain lakes with regulations protecting pike to to create a trophy pike fishery. Others, um, it's bluegills, maybe crappies. You know, there's just a lot of thoughtfulness and intentionality in in what I see the DNR doing. Now, some people might not like that. They might say, oh yeah, why why can't I, you know, keep this many fish on this lake? Well, if you really dig into it, there's probably reason behind it. But I, I, I think it's played out pretty well for most areas creating great fishing opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen more of that here too locally in the Bemidji area with the um, five sunfish limit or bluegill limit Mm -hmm. and uh, really seeing the difference. You get some of these fish that take so long to grow and um, you're plucking 10 of those out. Well, now you're cutting that in half and you're seeing the sustainability there. Nice, big, average-sized bluegills. So very important. Yeah, and I think it's important to, you know, make sure to check those regulations if you are trying a new body of water. I know I'm guilty of it. You get to the access and all of a sudden you're looking up at the sign is like, oh, there's special regulations on this lake or, you know, making sure you know what those size limitations are, whether it's, you know, minimum walleye suggestions or limits or, you know, maximum size for certain things. So definitely be aware of those. They they definitely change from lake to lake. And I think it's really just an testament to them trying to, you know, manage those populations and, you know, keep those resources available for the future. All right, Andrew, we're going to put you on the spot. 
We have Sorry. a portion of the, the podcast this year that we've dedicated to something called ICE Advice. So we've got two questions we're going to hit you up with. One of these questions we're asking every single one of our guests this year. The other question is something that's sent in by a listener. And so it could be whatever, whatever they want to know or whatever they want to hear from us as far as our opinions. I'll start with the kind of our repeat question and then Anthony can guide us through. Uh, I think he's got one from a, from a listener that was sent in. Um, okay, so in your opinion, Andrew, which is harder to catch? 50-inch muskie, 40-inch pike, 30-inch walleye, 15-inch crappie or perch or an 11-inch bluegill. So that's quite a lineup, but there's a lot of things there, but these are all really high-level trophy class fish. So which is harder? Uh, oof, it comes down to the 50-inch muskie and the 11-inch bluegill for me. Um, I don't muskie fish all that much. I know places where a guy could go to try to catch 50-incher, but I, I got to go with the 11-inch bluegill. I think that's just a, that's a tough nut to crack. And a lot of guys I know that have spent a majority of their life fishing bluegills have caught maybe 80 over 10, but you can't get that 11. So it's kind of that that threshold, that magical number. Um, that's a tough, that's a tough one. Have you cracked the 11? I have twice. Yep, 11 and 3 eighths was my biggest open water, not through the ice, but it's not easy for sure. That's a lot of time and maybe you get lucky, you go out there and pluck one right away. But from my experience and my conversations and inter interactions with people, an 11 inch bluegill is a pretty impressive specimen. So I'd have to go with that one if I had to choose. Okay, let me, yeah. let me take it. I was gonna say to you, it just really depends on the body of water. And you mentioned it earlier too, the age of that fish, I mean, only so many of those fish are reaching that age. Yeah, yeah, there's not many of those. So those ones definitely deserve a slip back into the drink, in my opinion, but pretty special fish. Absolutely. How about for yourself, Andrew? Do you have a fish, uh, a memory, a specific time when you've exceeded kind of those, those um, across the board, you know, trophy marks that, uh, that you're most fond of? Uh, I think for me, it was a 30 and a half inch walleye through the ice. Um, I've caught quite a few open water, but there's just something about a walleye of that size coming up an ice hole um, that is astounding, really. I mean, if you have a eight inch hole, you're pushing the limits. So when you know you have a walleye on that size, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. And I haven't been able to experience through the ice a ton, but it is something I'll never forget. And I was up on Lake of the Woods, obviously, but great memory that I'll, I'll never forget. All right, we'll hit you with the next question. So this is a question that we got from one of our listeners and they asked, how high off the bottom are you fishing? Are you setting your dead sticks and how far are you fishing? Um, how would you answer that question? And I know it's a pretty open-ended question, so we can probably hit it maybe from a different few different angles, but how would you... How would you set your yourself up when you're going out fishing? I guess how I would approach it in today's age is use the technology I have available to me and kind of lean me into making that decision. So with the live scopes, with the live imaging, um, kind of seeing where those fish are at as you roll up onto a spot is going to determine where I feel I need to set that dead stick. Um, and it really depends on the mood of the fish. If they're super aggressive, 
I don't like, you know, you could go all the way up to the surface or maybe they're pinned down to the bottom. Depends on uh, kind of what weather maybe is rolling in. So there's a lot of variables, a lot of factors that play into that. But if I had to say one thing, it'd be utilizing the technology I have available to me and what the mood of the fish is and uh, responding accordingly. Kyle, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I can't argue one bit with what Andrew said. I think that's great, great advice. Let your electronics, let your technology show you where to fish. The biggest thing in my mind that I would add to that is I think it's um, it's a mindset. And so many of us as anglers have grown up and learned to fish that bottom six inches to a foot off the bottom, right? And And yes, day in and day out, I think that's a high percentage area. But to be a really good angler, I think you have to throw that out the window and say they might be there, but they might be six inches below the bottom of the ice. And if we see a mark on our flasher, if we see a mark on our, uh, you know, sonar unit, don't write it off as just a fluke. Don't write it off as interference or bait. Check it out and give it a try and see what's there. And, and I think that most folks would be very surprised to learn how many fish and even the, the target species we've talked about, right? Like a walleye will cruise halfway up in the water column or even right under the ice. Anthony, do you agree or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you guys kind of all hit on the same thing. I think in general, I would say most people probably fish too low. Like you said, they're, they're setting it that six inches off the bottom, a foot off the bottom, but you know, don't be afraid to, to bring those fish up. It tends to bring maybe some of the bigger fish, the more aggressive fish up for those bites. You know, if you set it towards the bottom, you might get a lot of lookers and, you know, maybe some light bites and different things. But, you know, I've experienced over the last few winters is, you know, using live imaging or flasher, you know, you can get those fish to usually chase quite a bit and, and there'll be a point at which they won't chase any further. You know that that's too high. And so, you know, make sure to, to set your dead sticks a little bit higher. And when you're jigging, you know, jig those fish up a little bit higher. Don't just drop down to the bottom. You know, they can see it from a lot further away, the higher it is. And so I think just in general, you know, get out of your comfort zone, maybe set your dead stick or, you know, fish a little bit higher off the bottom. I know even this past weekend we were fishing in, you know, about eight feet of water and I was jigging, you know, three, four feet off the bottom and had fish come up and chase, you know, that far off the bottom, you know, you're halfway up the water column, but you know, in shallow water, those walleyes are aggressive, they're feeding. And so I think just, you know, maybe taking that and stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit, fish a little higher. I think you might put a few more fish on the ice. You know, one thing I would add to that, Anthony, because you are spot on. Again, let the fish tell you what they want. But I've had days where fish won't chase a lure up, but they'll chase it down. So if you're sitting there at two or three feet off the bottom, and because that's where those fish are coming in and they won't follow you up, try just opening your bail and letting that lure fall slack line to the bottom. And sometimes that different kind of approach is what they're looking at based on what they're used to feeding on. Um, it's just all about trying those different options in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Pounding the bottom. That's a, an age old secret that I think maybe gets overlooked these days too, is, you know, that's where those fish are feeding on minnows and crayfish and different prey species. So yeah, don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. For, I know around here, especially, um, when it comes to those big crappies, that's kind of the, that's the best part in my opinion is what's flipping their trigger today, because it's always, it's changing. 
Um, day to day can be different. So when you finally figure that out, that's when the real fun kind of ensues. When you dial in a specific bite and uh, you got them locked in, that's party on. That's when we're that's when we're having fun. So that's what I love about that too is just experimenting, seeing what's working, what's not, and going from there. You're learning every day. You're adding tools to the belt of knowledge, and it's always a great time. Andrew, you fish a lot of crappies. Um, tell me if you've ever seen this cause I have, but not very often, but late season crappies from what I, from what I understand, you'll actually catch them right underneath the ice. Why is oh. that? Or when does that happen? How does that all come together? I think as that snow is melting off the ice, um, you're getting more sunlight in there. I think oxygen levels are kind of going up a little bit and you're seeing a lot of that forage, um, move towards the shallows as well. So it's not even just a deep basin bite. But you're able to catch some of those big crappies in five, six feet of water, maybe even shallower in vegetation. So I think it's just the amount of forage they have there, oxygen levels, sunlight. There's a combination of things. But uh, an often overlooked opportunity is that shallow water bite. Guys associate uh, crappie fishing through the ice with the deep basins. And while there typically are fish out there, decent populations that's not the only population so that's another fun thing is to kind of change it up um, you can go out on one specific lake and target that population out deep and then if you can find that population up shallow you can tackle both of those in one day on the same body of water even it's pretty fun it's a good experience all right andrew i think we've kind of touched on most of what we wanted to talk about i guess one last question for you i know you said you were only checking ice but where, where are you setting ice, setting foot on the ice first? And, uh, you know, when do you think that'll be? I'm hoping in a couple of days around here, um, before I can get down to the St. Paul ice show, that's usually my goal. If I can get out on safe ice before St. Paul, I try to do that locally right here in Bemidji, get after some crappies and bluegills and then venture up north for some walleyes on Lake of the Woods. Oh, I think that's great. Kyle, anything else? No, it's ice show season. It's ice fishing season. I'm just fired up. I am excited. And uh, if if I get to set foot on ice before, you know, the end of show season, that's always a bonus. And it's it still might happen. But I am just fired up to get really, really rolling full speed ahead once, uh, once at a last ice show and the last day and the doors close, it's, uh, it's full speed ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, for all the listeners listening to Shack Talk, I know Kyle, myself, and Andrew will all be down at St. Paul. Um, if you happen to be there and catch this episode before before you get there, you know, stop by, say hi. We love talking to you and interacting with uh, fans of the show. Um, I know we put a post out on it uh, last week, but all of the shows are available on Spotify now, so SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So really look forward to um, expanding our reach a little bit and getting some more listeners to the show. Um, Andrew, thanks so much for, for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. I, I think we covered a lot of the, the scope of Minnesota ice fishing, and I hope the, you know, the listeners got some useful information out of there. If anybody has questions for you, the Bemidji area, anything like that, how would somebody get a hold of you? Uh, you can just look me up on Facebook, Andrew Craft. Otherwise, I have Instagram as well. It's crafty underscore 38. I even started TikTok, believe it or not, so you can find me on there as well. Um, under Crafty Chronicles. So absolutely, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's always great catching up with you guys and chatting ice fishing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to visiting with you some more at St. Paul. Uh, For all the listeners, again, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll be back again in a week or so with another episode, and we look forward to talking to you all then. Until then, get out on the ice, have some fun, and enjoy some ice fishing. Thank <laughs> you.